0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week.
1: Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. This episode of Marketing Trends features part two of our interview with Seth Farbman, former CMO of Spotify and Gap, and current executive in residence at Yale University. In part two, Seth talks about the future of audio, how to combine data and storytelling to create great content, and what he's most excited for about the future of marketing. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes.
2: Here is your host, Ian Faison. You've talked about the signal and the story before, you know, on future storytelling, and and you touched on it a little bit. Is there another kind of like takeaway that you would say from your Spotify days kind of signified like the difference between those two things or, or how they play together?
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I got a lot of joy and satisfaction out of was the, the creation of uh, what turned into Time Capsule, and the story sort of goes like this: We had a we, we bought a company called Seed Scientific, and and this, the data scientist who started that and ran it, it was a guy named Adam Bly, and he became our sort of central head of data, and he you know he had the sort of unenviable task of putting all of our data into one. System and, and make it useful, and make it useful for obviously for the product team so they could optimize the product, et cetera. But also for the marketing team so that we could both tell stories and then accelerate growth. But one of the problems that we had at Spotify, and you know, om- almost almost every technology company has this, is you can get people to download an app, you can get people to try it maybe once, but you know, getting them to get through your you know your ux even we all always think it's fantastic and getting them to display some other habit in their life to you know give the 14th app a try like that part is hard and so engagement is really critical and the problem if you will is that what the the magic of spotify is to most people and what we were sharing through our marketing it, it's not available right away we have no signal We don't know what you're interested in. We don't know how you use Mm -hmm. or listen to music. So we just promised you this magical experience and you show up and you're like, what's here? And it's a little bit of a conundrum. So, you know, I started to think, how do we get over that? And there's onboarding and, you know, you go through the usual things. But I wondered if we could go back to human truths. I wondered if there was commonality in spite of where you grew up, in spite of when you grew up, that there was a moment in time. There was a moment in time that music was so important and became so ingrained that if I was able to flash back to that, you'd be interested enough. And so Adam Bly, he he got the team to look at this. It took a while, but he sort of identified that, again, regardless of who you were, where you were, where you grew up, what your age was, that obviously, 16, 17 years old, the music that was, I'll say, popular, the music you would have been exposed to during that time of your life, it's, an, it's a permanent imprint on your brain, yes, but also in your, in your soul, your emotional being. And that's a very simple thing then to trigger, right? Nostalgia. Yep. All I have to know is where you grew up, Easy and basically how old you are. And even if I'm not delivering you personalized music or playlists of your music from your 17-year-old self, if it was music from your 17-year-old self's existence, it triggers nostalgia. And there's enough of an itch there, we all have it, that you will engage. And when you engage, then of course, you're pushing through some of the barriers we we need you to push through how to create a playlist, how to download, all of these things that create then the stickiness that makes you realize what a, what a valuable product this is in your life. But we had to manufacture that in a sense. And it was the data. So you start with an idea and it was the data that gave us confidence to try it. And then it was the data that came out of that experience that made us understand really what some of the triggers were to get people to give Spotify a second or a third or a fourth chance. And so out of that experiment, we created a product called Time Capsule that really just, you know, nicely packaged that. And you know, when you're a big giant global company, you're always having to think about what works in Japan and what works in Brazil, and are they the same thing? And this was one that cut across everything. But it was the the, the mining of the data led to a, a really strong, what felt like individual narrative that could be delivered that created emotional resonance, that created a connection, that felt like something you've never felt before, that made you smile. And it was those types of engagements that really drove future growth as well. You didn't have to convince somebody to give something a try after a while. You just relied very much on people sharing that experience and sharing that joy. And it would make it so much easier for people to engage and to stick with it. And now you've got a, you've got virality, you've got a positive flywheel. And that's what you always hope for as a marketer.
2: Did you double down on that on time capsule with other types of like paid ads or billboards or, you know, anything like that? Were you, were you trying to make sure that new Listeners were familiar, or you know, potentially new customers that would download the app. That were already were you priming the pump with like, "Hey, Time Capsule is out there," or is this just an in-app experience?
0: Um, Time Capsule is an in-app experience, but what we did is we took this learning and we applied it then to what you might think of as acquisition marketing. So we didn't say, "Check out Time Capsule and remember the wonderful days of." <laughs> years. I don't know about you, but I'm not going back there. (laughs) But what we did is we were able to, again, get a a level or two lower. So we had enough data, obviously, both first party and and then third party to to have an ad that was, you know, featured a very specific artist with a very specific song. And we could make enough of these that even if we got it wrong, We'd know that, right? It's the beauty of digital marketing these days. It self-optimizes. You just have to tell it what to do. And so that was what—that was how we employed this, this thinking. Specificity yeah. is so important. And the beauty of digital marketing, again, is you could be super specific and completely miss. But then there's another piece of content right behind that one. And after a week or two, You figure out which ones really draw people's imagination and you go with it.
2: You know, one of the big questions I think for a lot of companies that have such a large presence in app is that the CMOs, like people, you know, we get this kind of a lot where it's like, you'd be surprised how small my budget was or something like that. Just because like we had such a massive reach that like we didn't do a lot of, whatever out of home or we didn't do a lot of acquisition or or we did no brand stuff or whatever it is what did it look like when you were there in terms of like advertising off the platform cuz obviously you're building a network for advertisers on the platform as well but what were you doing kind of externally to promote to new potential customers
0: you know I, I looked at it in in a few different ways we had a defined budget for what we called artist marketing so when when artists had a big release, we would spend our dollars both on and off platform to help promote that release. It was important because Spotify is a two-sided marketplace. The artists are critically important. The data that we provide helps them grow their careers better, helps them figure out where they should go on tour, who should open for them, who they might work with and partner with and feature on their next album, all sorts of things. And also, you know, reminds people that, that, that this is where things happen on this platform. The second area was, you know, it was really quite quantitatively driven performance marketing. <clears throat> and we got very good at that. We built some tools, we borrowed some tools, and we got quite good at that. So we were able to uh, make sure that the growth trajectory was not too hot, not too cold. And then the third area was, we've got to find a new word for brand, but it was really to promote the experience and it was intended to connect Spotify, you know, to culture. And what I had different expectations of that budget. It was, it was significant, but not, this isn't P and G money where you can knock people over the head. With hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and suddenly they wake up one day and they decide that their teeth aren't white enough. We just were not gonna play that game, and that's not a game anyone should play anyway. But so the 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 challenge to the team, and and we there's a lot of great agencies out there, but I, I just felt we could better do this on the inside. So we we brought in some of the top creative talent yeah. and and built a team internally. And so my challenge to that team was was extreme creativity, was to to push us forward, to take risks. You know, I had one new creative who said, I don't understand where the line is. And I said, neither do I. We'll cross it. We'll get the shit out of us for a day. And then we'll know where the line is. And we'll pull back just a little bit. And I used to say, it's your job to try to figure out how to get me to get fired. and It's my job to just, just push you back a little bit. So we had this level of experimentation because what I realized was what I wanted from that team wasn't going to get measured in subscriber growth and MAU growth and you know, LTV, et cetera. It was going to get measured by sort of the intangible. And what I would say to them is, whatever we spend on, on paid media, You've got to commit to three, four, five times as much in earned media. And did I really measure that? No. They know that. Well, they figured it out. But it was the idea that you you needed the, the work to be so interesting that it did not feel like marketing and that people would share it. The press would report on it. It would get picked up in social it would get shared by artists to their fans on platforms that weren't even ours. And if they did that, then we deem that a success. Because my, my view is that in time, the tools that you use to create an efficient, effective performance marketing don't become differentiated. I get a tool, then you get a tool, and someone else gets a tool. We all have the same tools. And if you really want to accelerate, then you need to have something that somebody else doesn't have. And that was the role of, of some of the marketing that we talked about. It was creating an irrational belief and expectation and love for Spotify. It was an irrational self-badging. If you are a Spotify fan, That says something about you, says something different about you than if you're an Apple music or, God forbid, an Amazon or Pandora fan. And just recognizing, again, the role that that music has in people's lives was just oh so valuable and, and should not have been overlooked. And so we looked at the parts of marketing differently in what their outcomes should be, how we should measure them. But we also believed that they were completely connected, and you know, relied on each other in order to really give people a full sense of what Spotify was all about.
2: Did you did you feel like you had a huge advantage with the fact that you were making the artists money? You know, one of my one of my good friends is uh, manages number of artists and, you know, from what he was telling me and independent artists, and he was telling me that like, when those checks come in, (laughs) you know, it's a big deal. Right. But, you know, you mentioned in, in number one, that you were saying like, you know, you were partnering with artists on these music releases. It puts obviously like, you know, having them in certain playlists is a huge deal. The curation of that is a huge deal promoting their stuff is a huge deal. Did you feel like you had a huge advantage where you could promote Spotify kind of indirectly by promoting those, those things and really like partnering with the artists on that? Or how did you view it?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. What, the, the advantage though is more in the how. Early on when Apple Music launched, they were writing big checks. I remember they launched with Drake. I don't even remember yep. how much money it was, but it was insane. We didn't have the money. But what we did have going back to the beginning of our conversation is we had the fans and it became very clear to artists that the money's important, but the money is how you count love. (laughs) Artists want their music heard. They want their fans to adore them. And if you want to have a number one track, a number one album a successful, whatever, you cannot do that without Spotify. You just can't. So the advantage we had was scale, but also really the, the depth and influence of, of the fan base. And so we had something very valuable to provide that was more than money. And so the relationship with the artists then got it got real, got more meaningful because it did involve on platform and off-platform. And the marketing team had to work closely not had to, got to work very closely with, with the content team, with the programming team, because the programming team, they were the ones, you know, they're the ones that pick the diamonds in the rough, right? They're the ones that, you know, they just see it happening. And part of it is data, but part of it is just, again, their intuition. And so we always said, you, you bring us the artists, you tell us why you're so excited we got in the room as marketers with the artists to hear themselves what what their intentions were, what their desires were. And then we could create, you know, really meaningful work that was very different from what the music industry itself would do, which is sort of, you know, now available album release date, pre traditional stuff. And so, you know, what we were, what we were offering artists certainly was a, was a way to, um, you know, grow their fan base. And what we would find is that the, the artists, let's say we'd, we'd create a billboard for them, something, you know, traditional offline, Mm -hmm. they would take a selfie in front of their billboard. They would post it, you know, millions of, of shares and likes and retweets and what have you. And so it, it really did help Spotify. But it's a funny thing. I've always believed that if you're if you're truly a confident company and you express yourself with confidence, you tend to say less about yourself, but you somehow get more credit back. And I saw that happen time and time again in our relationship with artists.
2: You know, when when the company shifted to podcasting, or you know, to adding podcasts. I mean, you know, we obviously we're podcasts. You know, we're a studio that has a network of podcasts, so it's super exciting for us. And I think uh, every single one of our podcasts are now on Spotify. But you know, th- there's some. I think terrestrial radio is 18 billion dollars in revenue in the U.S. alone. You have to think a large percentage of that uh, of that music stuff is is going to go to Spotify and and similar. And from the you know podcast world, there's going to be a large percentage of that, that, that carries over. Was this something that was really exciting for you to see? You know, you've been on podcasts before, obviously, you know, you've, you're on this one. It's a very important medium as we go forward, but why was like Spotify finally, like we got to do this and we got to do it right.
0: You know, we looked at it for, for a long time, actually, you know, one of the, the interesting things about Spotify as a culture and I think this comes from the Swedish roots, is there's a lot of discussion, a lot of conversation. And those of us who are, you know, sort of came up through more American businesses, you're sometimes like, wait, are we doing it? Are we not doing it? Was that a decision? What are we doing? But we had a lot of conversation for a while, but we delayed because we wanted to make sure that the core content type music was really getting all the attention that it needed, right? We, We we were trying to sort of save the music industry from the very beginning. But we had done a, a number of tests. We did one in Germany where we took a, a known podcast from known talent. It's called FNF. And we promoted it on the platform. We promoted it off platform. Marketing team did a nice job in Germany. And we saw like, you know, triple digit growth in almost no time. So that just said, okay, at least Germans like podcasts and accept Spotify as a destination. But we really didn't have the surfaces right. We didn't have discovery right. And so we spent the time to kind of rebuild the back end of the product to Spotify podcasts what i go back to again is this discovery mechanism one of the problems podcasts have had is okay if i if i know the name of a of a podcast i can go find it if i if i know the topic i can find a lot of them but what if i am interested in in an individual and i want to search every podcast that may have mentioned or interviewed or referenced whatever this person. You can't do it. And, and because of the, the early stages of being able to tag and index podcasts, it's so long of a, you know of a, of a content type and so fragmented, it just took some time to really figure out if we had a solution for it. Once we did, and it's being, you know, everything's always in motion. Nothing's built. Everything's in process of being built all the time. Uh, we saw that 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 it was the ideal sort of you know second content type for audio. Deep consumption creates habits, which yep. is super important. There's a sense of new and release new newness of releases at greater frequency, where you know music artists might be once twice a year. The longer sessions would allow us to either monetize better if it's on the you know the advertising side or just have a sense of greater value if you're a subscriber it became pretty clear that this was going to be the next big bet for the company and as you know they're towards the what was that i guess the beginning of this year uh, the company closed on on a couple of acquisitions that'll help Sort of speed that process up. But this is, to me, uh, this is critical because the the internet and these platforms that we all enjoy are either user generated, lower quality content that then you have to clean up and curate, or they're professionally created, which means that you have sort of high cost associated with that content. And podcast is somewhere of a mix where, you know, the ability, I mean, you and I are talking, I'm in my office, you're in yours. We've got a microphone, we've got a computer, and uh, we have an easy way to connect. Like the cost of creating valuable content is so much lower. So now you can expand the library so much faster and cover so many more topics. And that has that has got to have a positive effect on people's desire to discover.
2: Yeah. I mean, we obviously were you know extremely bullish on it because we have a network of podcasts. But yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we talk about a lot is that this is really the best B2B marketing tool on the planet. I mean, we fight and scrap and do all these things to try to get in front of, you know, specifically on the B2B side, buyers and get their attention in a value-added way, in a meaningful way for those people. Meanwhile, you know, people who listen to podcasts, which that number is, you know, exponentially, I think it's doubled every year for the past 10 years, essentially, or every two years for the past 10 years, essentially. And now with Spotify going all in, I mean, we're pretty much, you know, geared towards like getting close to 100% of the population that's going to be listening uh, to podcasts in the not-too-distant future. You're talking about people who spend hours a week with extremely curated conversations around topics that they're interested in either personally or professionally like it is augmented reality it is it is something that you can do while you were on the go in your car at the gym you know doing dishes walking the dog doing whatever that is screenless you can be out in the outdoors you can do all sorts of different things it just kind of seemed so silly that The market was like, well, podcasts were big back in like 07, but, you know, didn't really see the use case. It's kind of just like, look at the entire radio industry for the past 50 years. Like, don't you think that's going to come online and on demand? It just kind of seemed obvious. Do you think that that sentiment was there, you know, at Spotify while you were there? Yeah, 100%. I mean,
0: when people would ask about what is the future of audio, what is the future of music? You know, Daniel would point to radio. You just can't kill it, right? There is so much uh, money. There's so much value still in radio, which has almost no innovation in the last 100 years, right? And the key is I think what you just said, like look at video and clearly video, the more senses that you engage, the, the sort of more sort of robust your storytelling can be and people engage with it more, but it requires you to pay attention it requires your full attention. And audio, by its very nature, it it seeps into your mind. It makes you makes you engage your mind. So it does have there's a lot of attention that comes through audio, but it also allows you to do these other things. And you know, the real competition for everyone, companies and individuals, the, the, the competition is is for attention, it's for time. And being able to play in the background, it opens up giant windows of opportunity for audio-first companies, and we we see it with music. We've seen it with news and podcasts. To your point, are they're 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 incredibly useful, but they, they're also somewhat uh, reassuring and calming. You you know the thing about radio is you love the DJ. And podcasts have that same, you know, you just, you're connecting with the people and they become part of your life. That's not going to go away. So we'll have to figure out the format. There's, you know, there's still business models to be determined. There's better ways of doing the advertising, all of these things. But, but for all of time, you know, the power of audio, it's just, it, it, it cannot be disputed. And it's not going away. And if you look at where technology is going, you might suggest that the, the days of the eyeball are over. And I guess Spike Jones got it right, you know?
2: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think it's also interesting that people tend to be selective with, with certain things where it's like, you know, everything is pivot to video. And again, video is going, it is huge now. It's going to be huge. It's been huge for, again, it's been huge for 50 years. Like, look at TV. The way that video is, is going to play out is going to be different. But I just think it's interesting because you look at Apple spending billions of dollars on AirPods V1. You look at um, the investments from, you know, Amazon and Google on Google Home and Alexa. You look at all of this stuff that is geared towards audio. And, um, you know, we recently did an interview with the CTO of, of Niantic Labs um, and the type of stuff that, you know, that company particularly is focused on augmented reality. And you just look at like how you can tell stories with, if you believe in, you know, the rise of all of this audio technology, making it better. I mean, AirPods, I don't want to overstate it, but like they really are a brilliant piece of technology that it's amazing that this is like V one of these. And I think is the most successful, Successful Apple's accessory, I think, ever at this point. I could be wrong in that, but I'm pretty sure it's it's been extremely successful. Well, you, um,
0: you know that you know that that's the tip of the sword when a company like Apple annoys the living hell out of most of its customers by essentially forcing you to use AirPods. Right? We complain bitterly about the Lightning adapter, all of it.
2: They were one hundred percent right,
0: <laughs> and and it's very intentional. It's very intentional. They're they're willing to risk that level of annoyance so that we are, in some ways, forced to adopt an an entirely new future where we are always connected through our ears. Uh, that's none of that's accidental.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I just look at the things of how creators can create in audio content. I think this is like the absolute very beginning of all of this. Um, And I'm curious to your thoughts, like if you're a creator as you said, the barriers to entry are lower than ever before. The barriers to getting heard are maybe more difficult than ever before, but at least at a certain level, you control your own destiny a little bit better than you used to by having to go to uh, a lot of intermediaries. Um, That just simply isn't the case. And high-quality content now and creators – That can find a place to help them like to add value to the content, to add value to that professionalism that you talked about is really exciting. Um, And it's something like, you know, we were obsessed about a mission, but it should for creators out there, you know, our CEO chat is a writer. It's a lot of our stuff is we want to be creators. You know, creator first for a lot of this, and it's just an exciting time. Like, what a brilliant, what a great time to be alive here when you have these type of technologies that are exponential. Like, you don't need to be exponential because the technology, because Spotify reaches you know over whatever hundreds of millions of people, and that's just it's a great place to be. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that the quality of podcasts will obviously continue to evolve and improve. You know, I was uh, I was incredibly impressed with the Daily. Yep. um as an example so you know we're 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 still in early days here and many new formats kind of pick up on formats of old right tv was radio with pictures for a while so i think we're just at the beginning of a really a, a, an exciting time for for creators and for creativity and then look the beauty of software i come back to it is that you can find an audience for almost Any well thought through and well produced or decently produced idea through some of the, you know, the massive platforms like Spotify. You no longer are limited by three TV channels, 10 FM stations, a fragmented internet. You now are able to have content find you and it be meaningful at scale. When you are now of platforms, as you say, with hundreds of millions or even billions of people in one place, you know what? If you've got a decent podcast, I'm sure that a couple million of them will be interested in what you have to say.
2: So you recently left Spotify. You actually broke news. Everybody covered it. I imagine that was pretty weird that you were covered so extensively that you were leaving. You know, a lot of people throwing around shakeups and all this sort of stuff. I'm just, you know, I, I wanna know what's next for for Seth. You know, obviously we're huge fans. What you're doing at Yale is really exciting and we're excited to follow along. But yeah, what what's next? What are you excited about? What what does the future hold?
0: You know, I I decided um I decided to really commit to spending a year without needing to make a decision. I lucky that I, I, I've been able to do that. And so, you know, what I've been doing is is really exploring some of my passions and whether, whether that turns into, you know, another C-suite role, whether that turns into starting a company or something that I haven't yet figured out, I don't know. I'm, I'm again, pushing that off, but I've been deeply exploring my roots. So I've gone back to journalism I've been trying to understand how to apply what I learned at Spotify, how to take a how to take a, a content that people are unwilling to pay for and reminding them of the value mm-hmm. and how to apply that to journalism. So I've been spending time in that space, loving it. I've been very interested for many, many years in sustainability and the food system and to create better health for people through mm-hmm. the choices they make. So, I've been looking at a number of companies um, investing in some uh, and trying to find uh, is there a, a sort of a more robust path for myself there, and then staying very open to serendipity it's It's hard to be patient it's it's hard to not try to you know kind of drive your next chapter or sort of conditioned to do that, but I've been leaning back, but I do know this i I know that there are too many fascinating transformations happening right now. I will choose one and then you know, get in with full force and uh, try to create magic, just like um, we were able to do at Spotify. And um, that's sort of an end of the year plan. And for now, it's almost summer. I'm going to have a summer of memories and fully enjoy, you know, the luxury of a little time off.
2: Well, if, uh, if any of, any of your, uh, your startups want to share what they're working on, we would, uh, we would love to, to promote those folks. Obviously, you know, we're a startup, we love startups. So anytime you need to give them some love, just, just drop me a line before we get out of here. You've been extremely generous with your time. This has been absolutely awesome. We just want to do a quick lightning round, some fast and easy questions, thanks to our good friends at Pardot. Fast and easy questions that only you can answer. You don't know what's coming. Are you ready? Sure. Number one favorite vacation spot?
0: Ooh, that's a tough one, but um, I would say Provence, Beau de Provence. Absolutely beautiful.
2: What about what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun besides Spotify? Because that would be cheating. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that would be cheating. Um, but it would also be true. So um, I've been using medium quite a bit. It's become a daily habit for me. I suggest you you try the same.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, so we, um, I think we're, I don't know where we're at in the rankings now. We were number one for a while. It was a pivotal moment in our company's history when we passed The Economist for more. We're like, well, they had a hundred and like whatever forty year head start, uh, it was pretty crazy. But I think we're like third biggest publication right now. But we've been on Medium for, for for a long time, and just encourage our listeners to check it out. How about what's your favorite? This is this might be. to, I don't know if we can do this one, but do you have a favorite playlist?
0: Um, I do. I've got a, a summer road trip playlist that I really just took liberally from other summer road trip playlists. And uh, our son is 13 years old now. And he and I, for the last uh, six years, have gone away for a week or two, just the two of us. It's my wife's favorite week. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's the two of us in an old Land Rover with camping gear and our mountain bikes. And we wander together without destination in mind. And, you know, the music on that playlist is just the most special to me because of obviously the, the moments we have together.
2: That's awesome. Favorite book or, or podcast that you've read or listened to recently?
0: Well, I'm, uh, I'm rereading, you're going to see a theme here. I'm rereading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I hadn't read it, I don't know, probably in 10 years or so. It's, but it's one of those I go back to time and time again. And I'm about two thirds of the way through.
2: How about ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're most envious of?
0: You know, I, I can't help but um, feel something when with the Nike uh, Kaepernick spot. And, you know, here you had a, a company that had been going through tons of turmoil in, internally and a brand that seemed to have, you know, lost ground on the Adidas. And I feel like with, with one brave swing, it, it really reminded us of both the power of sport and uh, and the power of sort of human belief.
2: Totally agree. What are you most excited about for the future of marketing?
0: You know I'm, I'm excited I'm excited about our the depth of learning that we have through all of the digital data that we're acquiring. I'm excited to, be able to put to rest eventually the questions of the value of marketing. And I'm excited to be able to, you know, return without apology to the original purpose of marketing, which is to let people dream and to give people hope and to help them really identify what's important to them in their lives. And that's been that's taken a hit in the last few years, as we've really given all of our attention to just a couple of platforms, who really haven't served, I think, the customer, let alone the market, or the way that they should.
2: What is your best advice for a first-time CMO?
0: You know, just ask the questions. Don't give the answers. Don't be afraid of lack of knowledge. Be very vulnerable and just hire really, really good people. And the rest
2: will take care of itself. What question do you never get asked that I did not ask you today that you wish you were asked more often?
0: Well, how I can be such a devoted Philadelphia sports fan when I've been (laughs) just disappointed my entire life.
2: Oh man, that's, uh, you're talking to a, uh, an Oakland, Oakland A's Oakland Raiders fan. Uh, so I am, I am right there with you. How can you stay such a devoted Philadelphia fan?
0: You know how there's always next year.
2: There is always next year. Seth this has been absolutely awesome. Anything to plug anything, uh, anything our listeners should check out.
0: Well, I just joined the board of Dashlane I absolutely think people should check out Dashlane. I feel like we're at this incredibly important time where the internet's getting more difficult to use, and it's also feeling a lot less safe. And we're starting to realize how important it is that we have control of our own data. And so I, I joined the company to, to help cross that chasm, because I think this is incredibly important. If we don't address these things, if we don't give ownership of our own data you know, back to people, then we're going to just see more trouble ahead. So I would absolutely encourage people to learn how freeing it can be.
2: Yeah, live your best life online with Dashlane—the safe, simple way to store and fill passwords and personal information. I'm going to check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, we'll link uh, link them up with another mission podcast, like IT Visionaries and Mission Daily. Seth, you're extremely generous with your time. We really appreciate having you on. And and this was just an absolutely awesome episode. So thanks so much.
0: Absolutely. I enjoyed spending time with you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle empower your marketing team to become revenue generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com podcast or click on the link in the show notes.
3: To helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.